Are you saying that, uh, that you would be uh, taking part in uh, our upcoming election in 2024? Well, I'll, either, I'll, either, I'll either roll an egg or you know, being the, the, good, you know, the guy who's pushing them out. The 2024 Republican presidential primary field is taking shape. The battle lines are becoming clearer, and so is the field of candidates. Is the odds-on favorites, if you look at the polling, still Trump versus Biden? That seems to be it, but it's just way too early to tell. I'm more angry now, and I'm more committed now than I ever was. Big challenge for these candidates is going to be how do they navigate Donald Trump, and and how do they navigate Ron DeSantis? You and I have a rendezvous with destiny. Welcome back to the Ruthless Variety program. Holy smokes, fellas! Ah, <laughs> uh, I. <laughs> Yeah, that was your president of the United States, Joe Biden. <laughs> Ask all the hard-hitting questions by Al Roker of NBC, typically doing the weather in this case, uh, covering the annual Easter egg hunt. At the White House. Yeah. Yeah. And he asked the totally unforeseen question about whether the sitting president <laughs> of the United States, a one-termer, uh, was going to be running for re-election. And this is what he came up with. I, I feel like we got to hear this again. Uh, do, do we have this handy? Are you saying that, uh, that you would be uh, taking part in uh, our upcoming election in 2024? Well, I'll, either, I'll, either, I'll either roll an egg or you know, being the, the, you know, the guy who's pushing them out. <laughs> Rolling an egg. Or... Yeah, this is, someone's going to have to explain that metaphor to Who's me. been, what kind of Easter egg hunts are they? That's, there's some dude pushing eggs. <laughs> I have never been a part of anything close to that. So, in other words, Dylan Mulvaney on the White House lawn this afternoon. Like, what the hell kind of Easter egg hunts? What the hell was Go that? on in the Biden house. <laughs> pushing it out. I'm going I'm pushing it out. Like, which Easter one? Easter at the Biden house and Hunter's like, I got a party trick for everybody. Watch this. <laughs> <laughs> R- which one is running for election? Rolling the egg or pushing out the egg? <laughs> <laughs> I don't even get the metaphor. I'm pushing it out. Right. I mean, that's the thing is I think he has really lost the ability to, to have like a metaphor and anything that he says. It's just like words you yeah. know when you hit that level because he's hit that wall i mean the guy everybody knows he's not all the way there what? he's hit a level where it's just like you know in between bites of pudding whatever <laughs> kind of combination of consonants and vowels come out of the but mouth that's a sentence like this would would <laughs> in in a normal family would lead to a family meeting 100 percent, and people would be passing around brochures and yeah, saying there's yeah. a, there's a place for dad there is but the, pre- the press <laughs> The, the press lets him get away with it. I mean, if he were a Republican, Al Roker would have said, huh? <laughs> what, did, what did you mean by that? What, what, is that, what does that mean, Mr. President? And I'm pushing it out. Then he would have been celebrated. <laughs> you know what? It, like, it, like, they are so easy on him, and that's what you get. With, yeah. a, with a press that is uncritical of a Democrat administration, you get pudding for a brain as a president. Like, immediately after China's like, well, send more warships. <laughs> like, I guess we gotta keep this up, huh? I mean, that's the thing, is this guy, in theory, you know, in theory, is in charge of the nuclear football. Like, this is our first line of defense in a very grave situation. You know, he'd walk into the, like, the room and be like, Mr. President, the nukes are in the air, what are we supposed to do? Like, I'm, you know, I'm the guy rolling the eggs or the one pushing them out. And they're like, oh, my God. Play it again. Play it again. Are you saying that, uh, that you would be uh, taking part in uh, our upcoming election in 2024? Well, I'll, I'll, either, I'll either roll an egg or you know, being the, 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 you know, the guy who's pushing them out. <laughs> oh, thank you, Mr. President. We'll get the. Uh, that was very clear. We'll go to DEFCON 3 immediately. That's uh, very reassuring. Oh, my God. <laughs> 
Oh, we always outdo ourselves here on the Variety Program. We got a big one for you today. Our sponsor today is Americans for Public Trust. One of those outfits that you ought to pay a lot of attention to because without of which we would have basically no information about a whole host of incredibly damning things that Democrats and liberals are up to. Mm-hmm. Uh, we're going to have Executive Director Caitlin Sutherland on the program today to talk about one in particular that you may have read about. I don't want to tease too much, but uh, it was about, we've talked about Hansborg Wies. And yeah. you, actually, your pronunciation is the key here. Yeah, and, and that's the thing is, I think it was, was it Newsweek the other week who had this story? Well, it was about, AP. It was AP. I mean, it's insane. Like, the situation is so much more dire of what we're facing with a guy sitting in Switzerland. This is this is a foreign national, right? Who's essentially just sending a, a tidal wave of cash to influence our government elections, top to bottom. No, I, I, that can't be possibly true, Smug, because <laughs> I was told a hundred thousand dollars in Facebook ads uh, compromised our entire democracy in twenty sixteen. The Russians stole it. Oh yeah, and you're telling me <laughs> that some Swiss billionaire can influence our elections? That can't be true. Can't I mean, be true. Ignore it. That's the thing is like you know the foreign interference ended up just being the business model that the Dems used. Yeah, uh, it, it, and I did not a peep out of uh, Sheldon White Club None. out of any of that, no, which of is apparently not. this is his thing. Anyway, she breaks all that down and gives you the deets on what's happening there, and you got to pay attention to it. Again, Americans for Public Trust, it's an awesome, awesome outfit. Uh, big thanks to Megyn Kelly. Not only do we have dinner with her a uh, week before last, but then we went on her show. You know, here's the thing about Megyn Kelly. What you see is absolutely what you get. Yeah. I mean, she is as delightful and charming a person as we've run across in this line of work, and there's no pretense there's no when we had dinner with her. She, you know, she could have. You meet all kinds of people who have that kind of stardom, and there's all kinds of like things that come with it, right? These weird yeah. hang-ups or like green M and M's or like right. here's like we just made a dinner reservation. She shows up. Yeah, and, and, and that's a, that's the thing is like you know typically when someone has like achieved so much in like the pinnacle of their profession, you give them leeway. It's why you let rock stars do the like green M and M's on their riders. But it was just like hanging out with one of the guys. It's incredible. Yeah, she was great, and we did her show last Thursday, which was very very funny. If you haven't seen that, go back and and take a look at that. Um, should we get into the goods here? I, first, before we get into the goods, okay. Everybody have a nice weekend. Great Easter weekend. Yeah. Did you? Excellent. Absolutely excellent. I mean, it was, it's, you know, it's typically kind of a family time. You had the Masters as a backdrop of that, which to me is its own national holiday. Everything stops with the Masters. And I enjoyed every second of that. Yeah. It was, I mean, it was a little tough with like the rain delays and yeah. whatnot and not being not quite sure where the coverage was coming from. If you were going to get it on ESPN or you were going to get it on CBS, uh, but, you know, overall, great tournament. A great tournament. It's yeah. just great sports. But then in the afternoon, Jim Nance did not disappoint. He never disappoints. No. Vern so Lundquist. Good. I mean, it's the, those two guys are a national treasure, and the fact that we get to hear them every year is just one of the greatest things about uh, the Masters tournament. And uh, we should not take it for granted because Jim Nance just called his last Final Four this year. Mm. Yeah. And I hope to God he's not looking at the exit I hope for the Masters, he, too. I hope he takes that one right to the pine box. If there's any way that he walks away from the Masters, it'll forever be different. Yeah. At least in my view, it will be. Uh, I had one of those. So I had a nice birthday celebration on Friday, which was nice. Saturday, I'm immediately into kids' birthdays, mm. which, you know, like. Yeah. We did We did the egg hunt. You did? Yeah. That was, How'd that go? Uh, really? Remember, really? your wife doesn't listen. What? 
She doesn't listen to the program, so you can be honest about. Oh. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, Well, it's it's a little stressful. It's a little stressful because they, you know, like all these other kids and their helicopter parents are like, they're like a bull in the chute, you know, and and they put up like a like a plastic like rope to make sure they do the countdown and all the kids run in and get the eggs and everything. And you know, Joey, my my three year old, he handled it with class. And dignity. And dignity. So there were, so there were other fellow children. Because I know your other child is just barely mobile. So it yeah, can be yeah, head-to-head. Yeah, he's 10, he's 10 months. He's He was chilling. But, like, our three-year-old was out there. I mean, he filled his his uh, little tote with uh, all the uh, candy possible. He did it quickly. But, I mean, he didn't make an animal out of himself. He wasn't on all fours scrounging for candy. And, he, and you got all Knocking these, other kids out yeah, of Yeah, and you got these other parents who are in there sort of crowding out the other kids and trying to help their kid get the candy. And it's like... Wait, they're throwing wow, really? like box have, screens on have kids? Have some decency. Really? Yeah. You yeah. hate to see it. You hate to see it. Wow, you know? that's so much. Yeah. I mean, that's why we have these, like, participation awards. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> I mean, I think my oldest would ha- handle it with glass and dignity. My, my youngest um, would definitely, it would be a problem. I'd have to pull him off. Yeah. Oh, I, I would guess kids. he'd get every damn egg. He's a real he'd problem. stick the other kids up and take their stuff. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Some kid would get, get, get a beat down. Uh, and I'm trying. Believe me, I'm trying to parent this young child, but he's not, he's not making it easy. Uh, but, you know, also, uh, lovely Easter dinner we made at the Duncan home. Had my father-in-law in town. Did nice. ham. Did the corn souffle that I make, which I know you've had. Yeah. Really proud of that. Uh, au gratin, potatoes. Oh, look at you. Mm-hmm. A nice menu. Asparagus. Midwestern favorites. Yeah. All Midwestern favorites. <laughs> well, the best The best is the leftovers. Uh-huh. You know? so. so I got to tell you, so I, we went to this birthday party, a friend of my, my oldest kid, uh, and they're all running around. They're all five and six, and they're cruising through this. You know, these basically padded jungle gyms that are like all indoors and I mean it's just like a parent's nightmare. Anyway, they're they're running around doing this stuff and, and my youngest it, it has not occurred to him that he's not as old and as big as everyone else. And so he's like flying around yeah. behind them. And in one part of this thing they have like actual boxing, you know, punching bags. <laughs> and one kid goes through it and it flies all the way up and flies all the way up. But, but if you're young, you're like it just kind of like you know doesn't yeah you can't really push it all the way up. So right in front of of my youngest, this kid rolls through and flips it all the way to the top, and it comes like flying all the way back. And I can watch my kid r- run around the corner and take the bag like, <laughs> right to the face, takes him off of his feet and throws him like five feet back into like the rest of the padded walls. And he sits up, and shakes his head, and he's like. Let's go! <laughs> and I was like, God damn it. Oh, it's that's just like, oh, and that's what I mean by like, this guy is not going to be easy to train. Yeah. Not going to no, be easy to train. He's an inside linebacker. In the meanwhile, my, that's what I'm yeah. saying. Yeah. Meanwhile, my youngest is like scrambling down from the third floor to make sure he's okay, you know, like a sensitive. Uh, anyway, so uh, look, a lot going on here uh, in terms of the world of politics. The one thing that we wanted to highlight off the top, because a lot of people are talking about this, and I I literally can't believe in a backdrop of Congress being at the precipice of perhaps banning this medium of TikTok altogether, Biden's digital strategy is basically to try to arm an army of TikTok influencers. It's horrific. This And like you said, this is the discussion around this is everywhere like I, it was hard to see any other story everyone has been discussing this and and the implications of it so uh, this is a story from axios and then we'll hear let you hear a little of uh, audio 
Uh, President Biden's not yet official bid for re-election will lean on hundreds of social media influencers who will tout Biden's record and soon may have their own briefing at the White House, Axios has learned. <laughs> I mean, can you... This is it, the, the insanity of this. that They're going to give TikTok kids their own briefing room in the White House. Yeah, the, solely because of the, the audience that you have on this entirely manipulated platform. So here's, here's the second. The move aims to boost Biden's standing amongst young voters who are crucial to Democrats' success in elections. And to potentially counter President Trump's massive social media following if he's the GOP nominee in 2024. Now, I want you to hear these kids, like, in their own voices so we can talk about, you get a full context of what we're talking about here. Let me tell you something, Gen Z is gonna make sure there's a blue wave in 2024. Republicans have no policy to help young people. They're literally trying to take away our rights. They are, and Harry, myself, and millions of other Gen Zers have a message to send, and I promise you, Republicans mess with the wrong generation. Let's go. <laughs> it's like a middle school pep rally. Dude. You, you know what it made me think of right away? He's an idiot. Comes from upbringing. Parents are probably idiots, too. <laughs> That's perfect. I mean, it's literally perfect. I can't believe that this is what it's come to. I mean, <clears throat> excuse me, when, I, when I was reading this and then I saw that clip, I think Greg Price, great follow, he, he, he fired that out. And at the same time, I'm going through the newspapers. I, I try to read the journal every single day. And the reporting in the, in, in the journal is about how Americans are essentially having, you know, the greatest difficulty since 2008 to get by. Uh, houses have essentially become unaffordable for the vast majority of Americans. Um, you know, polling after polling indicates that parents indicate that their children will have it worse off than themselves for the first time in, in, in American history. And at the same time, the Biden administration is like, okay, here's what we're going to do. We're going to send an army of TikTokers to tell young people everything's okay. When their future right now is in this horrific situation where the Biden administration's policies have made it difficult for them to buy a house, to do anything with their lives, to get ahead, to afford, you know, living on their own. Uh, there was a statistic, something like 65% of adults are at this point dipping into their retirement savings to pay for their kids. Oh. Okay. So this is is the policy of the Biden administration. This is what has happened because of, you know, the policies that he's put in place. And you're going to have an army of these kids, all these TikTok influencers, they don't care. They've gotten their, you know, brand deals or whatever. They're doing great living in their, you know, influencer houses and Beverly <laughs> Hills that they get together. So they're in a place that they can say, hey, listen, guys, Republicans have no policies to help you. They want to take away your rights. And what does that mean? Like, they don't they don't have any idea what that means. None. They the have, same way that Biden said they're going to put you back in chains. You know, it's the same same kind of scaremongering bullshit when they can't stand on the policies that have, have made things so dumb. Harry Sisson, a 20, that was the main guy in that clip that you heard is a New York uh, University student, 20 years old, and he does TikTok. Wait, that, that guy's in college? Yeah, I mean, take a, it doesn't seem like it, but Jeez. but yeah, right? So, but this guy, they're, they're going to take away your rights. All right, Harry, let's talk about that for a second. I assume what he's talking about is abortion, right? Because the only thing that anybody that age thinks of when they think of politics at all is abortion. Or, you know, paying for their college, you know, 
us us being forced to pay for the is that so they've that's a right right now apparently i assume so i mean biden used it last time you know this is the constant rug pull he has with kids where he dangles that like hey i'm gonna pay for your college if you vote for me you know and they keep falling for it so i don't know harry um if you can't leave your house if you can't do your job if you are uh, controlled entirely about whether restaurants in your neighborhood can be open or closed. Especially if he's at NYU downtown. And, and whether, Downtown's not the same. And whether or not, uh, last but not least, that you can even attend NYU with a real professor and college students, uh, that those all seem like rights. And it seems to me like they've all been taken away at one point during the Biden administration. <laughs> yeah, I, I've, I've taken a little bit of a different view on on this guy and his ilk. I, I sort of, just after listening to that and seeing some of this stuff that's forced into my social media feed, I feel like people like these are the best spokes, spokesmen that Republicans have. You know? I don't, like, I don't disagree, I, I except that, you've got a bunch of mindless followers on some of this shit. Well, I, that's true. But to the extent that anybody who might be seeing them has a brain, they're going to be like, whoa, I don't want to be anything like that. <laughs> well, I mean, I think that's the problem when you're talking about the youth. Like, in, that you had this massive pushback among all these influencers that TikTok, the Chinese-owned company, sent over to D.C., and all these Democrats get scared. They're like, oh, no. Shit, are we going to lose the, the, the youth vote? Like, TikTok has, the Chinese government has that level of influence that Democrats are like, well, I yeah, guess. Yeah, that's why they, go, that's why they like won't do it. The keys. Well, and that's why when you, like, you can make all the arguments about what TikTok is as a platform, whether it's data mined an entire generation of Americans, whether it has been engaged in ridiculous propaganda in mass across the American public, whether they're trying to manipulate trends and all that kind of thing. Like, we know all of that. We know all of that. And the answer amongst a bunch of Democrats, Smug, has been, yeah, but the kids like it. Bingo. The kids like it. Which is like, you know, as your parent, the first thing you learn is like, kids like a lot of shitty things for them. Yeah, 100%. Like your job is to try to prevent them from doing things that are really bad for them. And in their case, the ultimate parent in a democratic society, in their, I mean, I'm talking big D, like liberal democratic society, is the government. And they're the opposite. They're like, yeah, go for it, man. This is great. This is a great platform to get our message out. It's just, it boggles my mind. It makes me so pissed. Yeah. Because, you know, we go to, when we do our shows on the road, I would say the vast majority of the audiences we have are 25, 26. Yep, right around there. Right? I mean, maybe younger, maybe some college kids. And, like, this is not speaking to their them at no, all. No, no, no. In fact, they they would take the opposite view. I mean, they would look at these guys talking to the camera and think, "Wow, how can I be the opposite of this?" Yeah, person? well, yeah, and that's and I think Ashford brings up a good point. And I said it's sort of like a middle school pep rally. That's not cool. No, like like nobody who watches that is like, yes, I would like to be associated with these guys. <laughs> these guys are cool, you know. And so a little, you know, tip there for for the Biden administration. Probably not your best ambassador. So is that it? Is that is that enough? Are we calm with that? I mean, maybe it is the just like shoving dorks down everybody's throat, and everybody's I, like, ah, yeah, it's cool. To me, the, the the problem here is that you know, this is essentially the Biden administration saying we're not going to ban TikTok. It is. We're going to submit to you know the Chinese government because we need it to, to in our election. So they need it as part of their strategy to try to win uh, the White House again. So. They have allowed 
Chinese spyware. I mean, they allowed a balloon to fly across this entire country and, and monitor U.S. installations. Now they're going even further. Like, well, hold all- up, you just br- you just brought up something that I didn't even think of, that is actually well well worth talking about. In that there's been growing bipartisanship for banning TikTok. Mm-hmm. Republicans have been there for the most part. Democrats, we saw pass the Senate and begin to sort of cascade across the House to a point where you think there could be a bipartisan vote there. White House has been suspiciously quiet. And I think they, this gives their position away. But but then you heard that they TikTok hired Anita Dunn's firm. Mm, mm, yeah, that's right. Right? They hired Anita Dunn's firm, who's like, as they've talked about, sort of a voice, the voice, uh, within the Biden administration. And all of a sudden, the way that they roll this out is it's a key piece to his reelection effort. Hmm. Wow. All of a sudden, your bipartisanship may slink away. Doesn't it seem like? Yeah. Isn't that interesting? It's very interesting. A little bit of a conspiracy theory, but it might be. No, I like it. I also... You know, I'll be very interested to see all those disinformation reporters as these uh, Gen Zers start to uh, parrot the talking points of a presidential campaign, arguably things that may not be true, uh, (laughs) if these misinformation reporters are as upset as they were in 2016. They won't. I mean, spoiler, they absolutely won't. They won't. I mean, you've got people like Ben Collins. (laughs) um, Made a nice run in the turn. And Taylor Lorenz, who has completely Our come out you know backing uh tiktok and defending tiktok and that's the problem is so many journalists see tiktok as a way to build up their own profile the washington post hires multiple staffers whose only job is tiktok right yeah journalism has been because of their horrible biased reporting because their rock bottom trust you know that the public holds in journalism anymore they're trying to find some way some way to to make some money and they've turned to tiktok to boost their engagement so they are, you know, captured by this Chinese spyware app. They can't speak out against it. So, you know, you're not going to hear the same way that you did when Trump won that, oh, my God, was there some foreign influence in using social media? There is right now. And now the Biden administration has said that they're going to do everything they can to put it. Right. Good. It's good now. Exactly. <laughs> it's savvy even. It's, I mean, they did the same thing in 2012 with Barack Obama. You know, the Internet was the greatest thing in the world because it made Barack Obama president again. Yep. And then Donald Trump became president and it was evil and must be destroyed because Hillary Clinton lost an election. And now here we are again. And lo and behold, oh, the, the Internet, Internet. It's, it must be protected, particularly the chi- Chinese spyware <laughs> portion of it. <laughs> but not, not Twitter because uh, the opposition's got nice following. Right. No, that's bad. And that's where all the disinformation is. But TikTok, the Chinese spyware app, that's above board. Totally transparent. And, and especially when a president is going to be astroturfing his talking points through a bunch of you know Gen Z parrots, then it's really good. Well, Lord knows he can't do it himself. This is this is what Joe Biden would would sound like on TikTok. It, it, Are you saying that, uh, that you would be uh, taking part in uh, our upcoming election in twenty twenty four? I'll either roll an egg or you know being the, the good you know the guy who's pushing them out. I mean, Congratulations, Sisson. That that's is your, your candidate. That's your champion. <laughs> Uh, but in other TikTok news, this is from ZME Science. Human smugglers are now using TikTok to advertise their services. Oh, wow. Smugglers realized what many other advertisers also realize. There's a segment of their target audience that you can easily reach on TikTok. The approach works all the better as TikTok apparently isn't well policed or mo- moderated by its operating company. Oh, hmm. wow. Shocking. Surprise, surprise. Oh. 
So, I mean, look, that's just another facet to this. Right. I mean, this is, but this is a real story this week, right? For instance, uh, uh, one of the videos highlighted by the AFP shows the people dressed in camouflage moving around shadowy vegetation in the landscape of the of the mexican desert departing this weekend people from mexico interested in crossing the united states leave your message the tiktok post said just straight up just straight up this is like dark web shit and now it's just on this platform that the biden administration is going to try to use to get reelected. what is it that the <laughs> department of human uh, or D- department of homeland security does if yeah. that's if that's just operating there well i mean also to a certain extent they've kind of got their hands tied behind them because if they tried to stop these folks you know joe biden would say these are racist members <laughs> of the dhs if you but- work at the dhs and your job all day is to scroll through tiktok to find stuff like this like you need hazard pay <laughs> like because totally. the amount of bullshit you would have to cycle through and see in the stupid dances and filters to see this stuff my you uh, know look at tip this. of my cap to you and this article says it's not the only post or account that advertises this we also make crossings with children and family. Oh. And like you've seen all the like statistics. Like it's fucking Disney World. Yeah. Those statistics are where something like 70% of women who are smuggled to the United States via Mexico end up getting sexually assaulted. Oh. And TikTok is, you know, the best place, I guess, for these folks to advertise. Listen to this. There's another one that said that baited U.S. drivers. If you have a car and want to make easy money, write me. Oh, my God. Unbelievable. I'd heard about this. I'd heard about this before that like... Americans, this is Americans, uh, and, and like the article says, it says uh, they promised fifteen thousand dollars. Wow, oh, man, it's just it's so depressing, and yet this is what this administration calls a campaign strategy. All right, so I think we should go to our interview here, Americans for Public Trust. This is Executive Director Caitlin Sutherland. I want to welcome to the program uh, a very important guest who is the executive director of an incredibly important group that's doing amazing work on all of our behalf in outing some of the most ridiculous stuff that you'll hear about. We've talked about this before, but let's start with the introduction. Executive director, Caitlin Sutherland. Welcome to the program. Thanks for having me. Listen, you guys are doing good work on a whole range of things. I mean, I feel like almost every week we have some sort of uh, expose coming out of Americans for, for Public public Trust about what the libs are up to. But man, it's really, you've really worked hard because now you got the mainstream media interested in what I think is one of the most important stories that you guys have helped tell here, which is the foreign funding of the Democratic Party, basically, through this guy, Hansborg Wies. That's exactly right. Um, so, yeah, it is, uh, you know, pretty surprising when it's something that is so bad that the mainstream media has to pay attention. Uh, but apparently when we're talking about dark money spending on the left, it talks about a or it takes a foreign financier to get everyone's attention. And the latest tax returns out of this foreign national just showed he dumped over $70 million in 2021 to support liberal and left-wing agenda that backed Biden's agenda. Well, it's, it's wild. So explain to us just a little bit. We've talked about it before, but explain to us a little bit about how that works. So this Arabella Advisors Network and and how somebody like this can even make this happen. 
Yeah. Well, I think it's important to note that, uh, you know, Mr. Vies is a foreign national and he is absolutely prohibited from donating directly to candidates. Right. Uh, I will make a note that he has actually uh, he's given about seventy thousand dollars directly to Democrats. Um, now, it's been many decades since that pattern of giving. But what we've noticed is he has switched through this indirect influence, which is also, by the way, still illegal. You cannot do indirectly what you can can't do directly. And what we have here is a classic case of a foreign national money funneling through the Arabella Advisors Network into liberal left-wing causes that are affecting every single issue. We see that money flow to demand justice and packing the courts. We see that money flow to the Arabella groups that want to ban gas stoves. We see that money flow to the groups that are spending hundred or millions of dollars on television advertisements supporting Biden's agenda. It's it's wild to me. So just give us a, a, a recap on Arabella Advisors. So we've talked about it before, but it's been a few months and I think everybody needs a little a little refresher. Right. So the Arabella Advisors Network is the largest dark money network on the left. It is a behemoth. Uh, they run billions of dollars. Uh, the easy way to think about is it is a clearing house on the left for pet projects that liberals care about. Mm. And because Mr. Vies, you know, likes to channel the money through them, they know exactly where to give it. Do they want to give it to uh, court packing groups? Do they want to give it to environmental Rattle, rattle, uh, radical groups. Uh, this is where the money flows to impact across the 50 states and D.C., up and down the ballot. We are seeing where this foreign money is ending up. So basically, the way you look at it is they've got this entity in Arabella Advisors that is, is like you said, a clearinghouse of liberal priorities. And knowing that the FEC does not allow foreign nationals to contribute directly to campaigns, what they have done is is have like a constellation of nonprofits, correct? That's exactly right. The Arabella Advisors Network is made up of five separate nonprofits, uh, three 501c3s, which are absolutely prohibited from engaging in politics, and two 501c4s, which are also absolutely prohibited from allowing a foreign national's money to influence politics. Now, what's interesting uh, is that the Associated Press reached out to their Bell Advisors Network and says, we have evidence of hundreds of millions of dollars of a foreign national's money flowing through your network. Is this money influencing politics? And without offering any evidence or any proof, and we also argued this in an FEC complaint, they said, basically, Trust us. Uh, they did not have their books. Uh, they offered no proof. Uh, they just said, no, you know, we have, you know, internal protocols that show, you know, that this pot of giving uh, that the four nationals money is totally different than the pot of money influencing politics, uh, which is obviously impossible to prove. And we will keep arguing that, you know, this money is influencing American politics and American policy. It is influencing our elections. We see that this mega donor on the left is a foreign national. This sort of structure is absolutely illegal and it needs to come under investigation immediately. Well, no question about it. And before we just get into the pot of money and how ridiculous that is that you could somehow 
have that firewalled off from everything else. It, I mean, I don't even, it's unbelievable. But it makes you laugh when you start thinking about how it would actually be enforceable, which was what we we know. So, and they got pretty mad at the Associated Press article for, you know, for a reason. I mean, how dare, how dare somebody look into the left wing? This has been going on for years. I mean, years. It first came on our radar a couple of years ago when they started popping up fake news websites, correct? Yeah, actually, uh, Mr. Visa's money, he has given hundreds of thousands of dollars to acronym. That's the backer of Courier Newsroom. You're absolutely right. So again, you can play a game here. Pick a policy, and it all traces back to either the Arabella Advisors Network and this for national money. And also, it has propped up all of those, you know, faux grassroots sounding names, Floridians for a fair shake, keep Iowans healthy, you know, North Carolinians for a strong economy. You know, that those are just all different trade names uh, for the 1630 fund, which re has received over $200 million from a foreign national. That just shows you that a foreign national's money is flowing to these opaque sounding groups in all these states that are saying how, you know, to influence these elections. Yeah, it, well, not only that. So so they get pretty close to electioneering in and of themselves. Right. I mean, not only are they actively promoting left wing policies, but they're actively campaigning against anybody who's trying to hold the line on that kind of thing right so yeah the lines get totally smudged here yeah the lines are definitely blurry which makes it even harder to prove that this money isn't actually ending up when you have a group that is engaging in what we call social welfare so they'll say you know maggie hassan is doing a great job call maggie hassan and tell her keep doing a great job I mean, it's just unbelievable uh, right uh and so you're right uh that is you know that is that falls in the social welfare bucket but then we also see that 1630 fund is pumping tens of millions of dollars to pro biden super PACs. okay mm -hmm. so if the bulk of your funding is coming from a foreign national and you're running two tracks one for these so-called social welfare ads, which we all know, you know, they have the political sound. And then you're also pumping into pro-Biden super PACs. You're also pumping into Courier Newsroom. You're pumping into these other groups. Uh, I think we just also need to come back that 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 money is coming from a foreign national. It's wild. So just a quick tutorial for those who are listening. 501c4s in particular in recent years have been able to operate sort of on a 51-49% uh, advocacy to electioneering budget. And it is clear, you know, DOJ and everybody else that says that these organizations, as long as the majority of the money is spent on social advocacy and that kind of thing, that they can spend a minority amount of their money on direct advocacy. Problem here, as you've just highlighted, Caitlin, is what they're basically saying is that the money that they're taking from foreign nationals has cleared the capacity for them to use the rest of the money. Even, I mean, let's just give them the benefit of the doubt and say that's what they're doing uh, on direct advocacy and, and electioneering to things like the Biden super PAC. Yeah. And listen, even if, you know, that 51-49 split, okay, I guess, you know, that's all about the books. Let's take a look at who is your number one contributor year after year. It's Hans-Jörg Wies, who, again, he's prohibited from giving directly. He's also prohibited from 
giving indirectly. And we, here we have this network that has set up a, you know, a very complicated way of indirectly influencing American politics. And what we uh, also have found is that, uh, you know, Mr. Visa's sister actually wrote a book about him. And uh, this was highlighted in the Associated Press article where she said that her brother realized at some point that he could use his foundations to influence American politics. <laughs> so listen, they have figured it out. And by his own words, he is using his foundations to influence American politics. This is absolutely absurd. On a, on a total party line, absolutely partisan left-wing basis, which is, I mean, I don't know how you can come to the conclusion that this is anything other than an absolute breaking of the law. Like, I, I just, it, it, there's no way that there's an accounting system in place that could somehow make one believe that all the left-wing advocacy that frees up space to do direct electioneering and everything else is somehow not coming from a foreign national here. Yeah. And look, uh, you know, it, it takes a lot to raise money for these sizable paid media campaigns. And when you have a foreign billionaire who year after year is writing checks and this most recent on an off year dumped over 70 million dollars that flowed into pro Biden causes. I mean, I don't know if it's just enough. They want to get their, you know, their issues out there. They want to run the paid media campaigns and maybe they don't care where the money is coming from because it's really hard to turn down over $70 million in an off year. Oh my goodness. This is crazy. Well, we, we wouldn't know anything about it without you all. Um, where does it go from here? Well, I think we just need to keep following the money. Everyone needs to say the latest, you know, paid media campaign that pops up that is supporting Biden's agenda. Everyone needs to insist, well, did this get a foreign nationals money? Anytime something pops up, a campaign that wants to ban gas stove stoves, a campaign that wants to, you know, radically change uh, America, we need to question, did this money come from a foreign national? Because right now we're talking about money that we know flowed in 2021. Because of the delay in the release of these dollars, uh, we all need to be vigilant about who is funding, particularly as we head into a presidential election. Is a foreign national going to fund Biden's likely re-election? Mm. I think that is a fair question that needs to be asked because it's already flowed to support his agenda. You know, we pad his agenda in the off year and that prepares him for a run in the on year. And I think we need to ask the question is, are they going to disavow the money or is it going to increase in election year? Well, Caitlin, I know that you guys have been asking the question and you, you mentioned earlier that you'd filed FEC complaints and that kind of thing. Do we have any hope that DOJ or anybody else is going to look into this? Or is this just one of those things that because the left's doing it, everybody's turning a blind eye? You know, I think once you deal with the foreign national that I think both sides have paused and are really starting to pay attention, or at least we hope. Uh, we hope that uh, Oversight Committee takes interest of this very important issue about, you know, the last largest donor uh, is a foreign national. Uh, I think that is something that both sides of the aisle can agree upon, particularly as we head into 2024. Yeah, you'd think so. But I don't see like Sheldon White Club scrambling to uh, figure out how to get to the bottom of this dark money mess. Is that, did I miss something? I uh, I haven't seen him tweet about it. And he uh, he sure seems to tweet a lot. And uh, for some reason, he has not tweeted out this Associated Press article. Uh, but we I thought this was wait. his thing. 
I thought so too. Uh, and particularly, it's not just dark money, it's foreign dark money. We thought it would check all the boxes to get uh, Senator Whitehouse's attention, but uh, I guess we'll have to keep working harder to get his attention. Yeah, I guess so. I guess so. Listen, Americans for Public Trust, you guys are doing the Lord's work. I swear every other week I see something that we never would have known about because nobody else is looking into it but you guys. Thank you for everything you're doing. Well, thank you so much for having me on. So I love what these guys do. They are so focused on the stuff that none of the mainstream media spends a second looking at. Yeah. Right? They've been talking about this Hansborg Vs thing for since we've been doing this show. Yeah. Basically. And they've created now something that not even corporate media can ignore. I mean, it's essentially a watchdog group because the media doesn't do their job. Right. It had to become so obvious and in their face with all the information that groups like, you know, America's Problem Trust put out that you end up with the AP being like, okay, yeah, sure, we'll admit that a Swiss national is bankrolling <laughs> the Democratic Party. And then also, to, you know, uh, there's been a lot of discussion about how um, there's these district attorneys in America who've gotten elected because of George Soros flooding that left-wing dark money and. And the response from the left has been like, you're not allowed to say Soros. Oh, no, you can't. Oh, you can't say that. That's Anthony Smith. I noticed they never afforded that to Sheldon Adelson. No, that was interesting (laughs) how that didn't actually impact the right side of the aisle. Because he was a right-wing puppeteer of Republicans. But if you say George Soros is a bad guy because he wants to let criminals out of prison and he funds the DAs who allow that, then you're an anti-Semite. Then you're doing the anti-Semite. How how dare you? (laughs) I mean, I won't be surprised if they're like, oh, well, that's anti-Swiss. You know, anti-Swiss, bigotry, anti-Swiss they're very not Hans Jorg. They're very neutral people. <laughs> Just incredible. All right, so we got another. Uh, this is actually interesting, and I, I know Smug, you followed a lot of this, but according to the AP, China military quote ready to fight unquote after drills near ta- Taiwan. Yeah, I was seeing some of these. I, I think a lot of folks may have seen uh, on social media. There were a lot of these like maps being placed of the positioning that like Chinese warships have taken essentially surrounding the island of, of Taiwan. Um, it's it's really horrific stuff going on. And, and, and you know, this is a very important topic. Yeah. So it all has come about, obviously, because of the high profile meetings with the Taiwan president uh, last week with um, McCarthy and, and other leaders. And but we've seen this. It, I'm hesitant to give it too much gravity, to be honest with you, because I've seen this so many times over the years where any time there is an interaction or a recognition of Taiwan by leaders in the United States, China's like, well, we will react aggressively. Mm-hmm. And then they fly their planes and they drop their bombs on each other and they do all this stuff. Well, they're also tweeting out an anim- animation, I noticed, <laughs> right. you know, of like what would go down if, you know, maybe we invaded. Yeah. You know? Right, right. But it's but it's all this sort of propaganda cam, which, by the way, they've figured out and we haven't because it's now our news, right? So now we're concerned about this. Right. Because it's like, oh, well, China might do this. Maybe we should not provoke them by recognizing Taiwan. But that thing is like also at the same time, this happens after China took Hong Kong. They just marched in with their tanks and troops. Sure. Yeah, I mean, that's look, that's a backdrop that's certainly got to be considered by all of this. But I think that the, the larger point is the war games done by China and the war games the United States has done in, in the South Pacific area are for trying to communicate how little pleasure they take in what you've just done. Yeah. Right? That is a far cry from 
you know, sort of the act of war that we're talking about in some of these pieces that try to characterize what's happening here. I guess that's my only point. I mean, what I went back and thought about is I just miss that period of time that we had in the Trump administration where much to the frustration of journalists, every day we we're like getting closer to world peace. Like Jared flies to the Middle East, brings peace to the Middle East. You never heard about and You had President Trump roll up on North Korea. You know, where ahead of that, there were these tensions of he he like dunked on him, calling him like, you know, little rocket man. My button's even bigger, you know, and then he ends up just like walking over the line, you know, that separates North Korea and South Korea. And it was a period of time where it was like no one except the press who was like, oh, my God, Trump's going to start World War Three when he just turned Soleimani into salsa. No, that actually like defanged the guy who was responsible for killing U.S. troops with IEDs. There was a period of time where Americans didn't have to worry in the news about like, oh, my God, is there another war going on somewhere in the world that we have to worry about? What's going on with China? Are they invading these people? Hong Kong? You know, like we didn't have to worry about this stuff. You had the whole Reagan peace through strength thing and and like a bit of the uh, Richard Nixon uh, madman theory where like, you know, when he tweets out that like, you know, little rocket man, my button's bigger. He's essentially, you know, everyone's like, this guy Trump is crazy. He'll actually do it. I guess we can't really fuck around. Right. Meanwhile, you know, now we've got a guy who's talking about pushing out eggs on Easter. <laughs> so, of course, the world doesn't take him seriously. Right. You know? I do think there's an element of that, unquestionably. You don't fuck around a lot if you're real concerned about what the repercussions might be. Yeah. And there's just no way that these guys are in position to even have repercussions at this point from the American side. I mean, we're obviously engaged from a financial standpoint in Ukraine, but all of it dates back to, as we've discussed with Afghanistan and everything else, yeah. in this projection of weakness. I mean, know? and that was another thing that uh, it, it dropped on Friday ahead of the holiday. And I, it was by design. The Biden administration released the report of what happened in the Afghan withdrawal. And essentially their position, and you can't make this shit up, is that, oh, those 13 service members died. It's, well, it's the military's fault. They killed them. Dude, can we talk about this please, for a second? Please, it was enraging. I, I, I read the report and I, I almost thought that the first thing was like an onion. Yeah, Did, yeah. Didn't you? Yeah, I, I couldn't believe it was like I, I was like, am I hallucinating? I can't be seeing this. They're like, the White House is prepared to release reports, the, the definitive reports after action. They called it of their withdrawal from Afghanistan, uh, and they will place blame squarely upon the Trump administration. Uh, for tying their hands. Like, look, if you want to be really intellectual about it and you want to actually take the the decision-making tree from the Trump administration all the way through and say, you know, did it make a huge amount of sense to draw down troops down to 2,500 to be able to protect an area? From a strategic standpoint, you don't have a lot of choices on how you go about protecting large areas of land with such a small troop presence. Sure. The difference is what the Biden administration did is they told the Taliban and the entire world that they were going to leave at the height of the fighting season in order to make a deadline that they set for themselves on September 11th to have a 20-year anniversary retreat from Afghanistan in the end of the war. That's what they said. And what the enemy responded with was to make that as hellish an opportunity as possible. And then what we did is leave Bagram Air Force Base and all of our military installation, all of our vehicles and armory and all of that shit 
behind. Like those were choices this administration. That's the thing is, like, there was no part of the deal that the Trump administration made that said, also, you will leave your Humvees and uh, guns so that we can use them. No, right, they, that was the Biden administration. And, folks. And, and as far as an after action report goes, they have zero credibility in terms of taking any responsibility or being honest with anybody about what actually happened there. Last week, John Kirby straight faced to the press and everybody else that we left. We didn't leave millions of dollars of equipment. Yeah, he said that. Everybody with has, pictures. Everybody has seen the pictures. And yeah. he said he, quote, didn't see chaos in the Afghanistan yeah. withdrawal. If That's they, what he said. If he straight they, faced if they are willing to look into the camera and tell that bald face of a lie, of course they're going to put whatever they want in a report and release it and pretend like it's real. Democrats lie. There was a they video. lie to you and they get away with it because the press lets them get away with it. It's bad, bad, bad. There was a video that I saw going around where uh, it was, you know, in the foreground, it was Kirby giving those remarks like, well, I didn't see any chaos. And in the background, it was people falling from the planes yeah. as they left Bagram Air Force we've, Base. We've heard horrific stories from soldiers who were there on the ground yeah, really, doing really their level stuff. best to follow orders. Just the worst of humanity. Things like people, like people so desperate for a future for their kids, they were throwing children over the fence Mm-hmm. and into the American-occupied area so that hopefully their kids would make it over and make it out. They felt the chaos. John Kirby is lying. And that's the thing is, is you know, this report was basically the Biden administration saying, oh, well, we were. how could we be responsible for any of this? We're talking about the commander-in-chief being like, well, it, it, clearly it's not my fault. Right. How could they not be responsible for it? I mean, how, I don't understand... Under any circumstance, could they not be responsible? They set the timeline for withdrawal. They strategically decided to abandon Bagram Air Force Base. They didn't provide for the safe exit of not only American citizens, but translators and people who were fighting alongside right. of us there, who right. still remain to this day, by the way. Right, right. And and then, in real time, the entirety of the American people saw on every English-speaking news channel available, people holding on to struts of planes right. as they took off from Kabul. Like, that's what we saw. What do you mean you didn't see chaos? And that's the thing is, like, I, I remember at the time there were comparisons to the way that there was the withdrawal of Saigon. This was so much more chaotic. There was so much loss of life. Thirteen service members were killed. Yeah. And, and the Biden administration responded by drone striking a van full of kids. I mean, are we so desensitized to this that, like, the 13 13- service members who lost their lives are not included in chaos well i mean i think the you know joe biden personally is extremely desensitized to it when he can be looking at his watch like are we done here instead of honoring the service members who just gave their their lives for this country i just don't know how people don't hold them accountable for this because i i, I think it's one thing to make the tragic mistakes that they made it is quite another to show up two years later and say we didn't do anything wrong. The previous guy did a bunch of stuff wrong. As far as I could tell, it all went pretty smoothly. I think if China invades Taiwan, they'll blame Trump too. Oh, 100%. <laughs> but it's like, it's not even, that's part of it, right? It was offensive enough that they blamed Trump. Yeah. And then they hooked it to a couple of strategic drawdown decisions. Right. That like, you know, they were real, but they had nothing to do with the timeline that was set by this administration. And, and, and let's be honest. If you felt like those were poor decisions, 
you are the president of the United States. You can reverse those decisions in a heartbeat. But he wasn't going to because they wanted a political victory right. being out of Afghanistan Bingo. before the 20th anniversary of September 11th. So the, the short-sighted political gain that the Biden administration wanted cost the lives of 13 uh, U.S. service members, countless Afghanis, and left billions of dollars of, of military hardware in the arms of the Taliban. Like, this, these are obvious, obvious things. Right, and what makes it so terrible is that the stakes could not be higher. It, these are life and death matters. I mean, you cannot lie and, and not take responsibility. These guys have to be voted out or... I don't even want to think about what the next four years. Well, just, I, I don't even think we're at rock bottom yet. I think rock bottom will be China invades Taiwan and the Biden administration gets all of those TikTok influencers in a room and they're like, all right, this was actually good. And then they'll go out there on TikTok and be like, why? It's OK. The China invaded Taiwan and I'm doing a dance. Dude, we're real close to Biden. being able to pull this up. No, my guess of that situation is she would tell the influencers Oh yeah! Right. Tell everyone that this is actually good, right? And then the Biden campaign be like, "Well, hey, listen, hey, look, we the get TikTok kids that it's good. I guess we'll say it's good." Kirby, get out there. They give us a third of the algorithm. Let's yeah. ride with it. <laughs> yeah, we'll nuke your account, or you're going to tell everybody that this was actually good. <laughs> yeah, I want you to do a dance celebrating the victory of China. How about that? <laughs> All right, do you guys want some animal news? Yes, always. All right, so this one's a little bit of an odd. <laughs> oh my god, I'm a little bit of an now. odd deal here. <laughs> Uh, according to KATV uh, in uh, looks like Pennsylvania, <laughs> a naked man driving a stolen school bus with a dead deer inside leads police on a chase. Uh, this is interesting. A strange situation spanning Adams, York, and Cumberland counties in Pennsylvania happened early Tuesday morning. According to Carroll Township Police, I mean, do I need a tour of the entire place with this, this also, article? clearly he must have, like, ma- made a run if he's gone through three counties. He's got three counties, but I feel like I don't need the, the address of every <laughs> sp- spot that he stopped. Anyway, the long and the short of it is uh, they were on the lookout especially in York and Adams counties. That's where it always goes down. Yeah, York and Adams. You got to keep an eye on that. I think they had loose monkeys there at one point. (laughs) (laughs) Officials say officers on patrol spotted the stolen bus through a giant foods and Rite Aid parking lot. The school bus then turned. Listen to this. Then turned west onto Sidensburg Road. Like I'm, this, this is a real break. Real play by I play. I mean, I've gotten. If you are a, a native of this area, you certainly know what happened here. <laughs> <laughs> uh, yeah, no. Let's still go. Authorities uh, say they later caught up to Saunders. At first, they say the bus pulled over near the Pennsylvania Turnpike. Oh, now we're on the Turnpike. We went to the Turnpike, and then we got over and shortly pulled off away. So he's paying tolls. And then they started. A, <laughs> He stopped and paid the two fifty, <laughs> and then the chase with the police. So authorities say the bus later passed an exit for Lower Helen Drive and exited the highway. At this point, police say Saunders drove over the berm. Uh, almost the hell's a berm. Uh, I think it's like a you know like something. Is that's, it like a road div- a divider or something? Well, you know how there's the the like drainage things on the sides of freeways, mm-hmm. and then it builds up on the other side. Oh, okay. I think that's a, okay. Yeah, full shit. I think that's a berm. And it said almost flipping the bus. So almost he kept flipping. rolling. Yeah. So then he drove the vehicle back onto Gettysburg Drive. As one does. Into a nearby neighborhood. <laughs> this is hilarious. Like, the, the the guy who wrote this is like the traffic reporter, right? <laughs> yeah. That's it, usually who gets these assignments, right? Like, like the dude who's doing the traffic's the one that's like <laughs> down with the helicopter pilot. Yeah. Like, get up there. <laughs> Real backup at the spur today. Yeah, at Father Hurley and down to the Occoquan. <laughs> He's like, we got, a, we got a dead deer bus again. <laughs> 
He exited the police and ra- er, the bus and ran from police. Officers say Saunders uh, ran, stripped off his clothes until he was fully naked. Oh, so he was he was dressed in the car. Well, he, or in the bus. He was decent with a deer. <laughs> he got there's un- no foul play. He got indecent as soon as he there's left. No- deer necrophilic yeah, you don't want i was like this sounds horrific it's a school bus he's not an animal <laughs> uh running through numerous parking lots and busy traffic areas police say saunders was then arrested nude and later admitted to taking the bus earlier tuesday morning after he crashed a bmw vehicle he certainly downgraded uh <laughs> his transportation <laughs> Uh, according to law enforcement, Saunders also admitted to placing a dead deer inside the bus and was attempting to drive it home to use it as fertilizer for his garden. As one does. Well, <laughs> if he had depleted nitrates in the soil, that's one way of upping them. <laughs> so he's he's currently in York County, uh, and he's uh, charged with a bunch of things. So w- we didn't get out of this. We got a lot of directions. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. We didn't get... Did he hit the deer? That's the thing is... So he just located a we, dead deer. There's we do not know... I don't know how we got this far into the story and we don't know the providence of the deer. We have no idea whether or not this deer was just simply minding its own deer business right. and was hit by a bus and therefore loaded in by a naked man or whether it was it was forced to do unspeakable things in the back of a school bus. He's charged with fleeing an officer, receiving stolen property, reckless driving, and resisting arrest. So they don't have anything there. No animal cruelty. Is there no, like, Grand Theft Auto? Because it says here that he crashed, I guess, his BMW, and then he admits to taking the bus. Well, what is the receiving stolen property? Was this deer stolen? Ooh, receiving stolen property. Oh. Did somebody else steal the bus? I mean, my my theory here. He crashes is, his car and he's like, "I'm looking for a stolen bus." Guys, like, I got one. <laughs> you want a deer? Got one of those too. <laughs> Dude, I have one request and one request only: take off all your clothes. <laughs> I mean, what 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 appeals to me is I think you know I speak for pretty much everyone. It's got to be the vast majority of Americans. There are few things as fun. As a police chase. Mm, mm. <laughs> Fucking love it. Yeah, totally. I mean, they're really great. And and they used to be a, a mainstay on cable news. And yeah. then I think, like, cable news basically got intimidated out of it by law enforcement saying, like, it just increases people's willingness to give it a full run. And, and that's the shame of it. So, like, now it's essentially just become, you know, the bread and butter for local news. Yeah. But it's like... I'm. I, I don't live in L.A. I don't get the yahoos who always just like will steal a car, go ham, and then like every local channel in L.A. is like, we got a chase. Yeah, hit the air. They well, get the choppers up there. Yeah, that chopper view is really where it's at. Where they have the spotlight. Oh yeah. Oh. Do you remember the mid to late two thousands when your work day would be entirely changed? If a car chase came on, like yes. a good car chase came on, oh, yeah, 100%. multiple times a week. Like all of a sudden, all the TVs would flash to this car chase, and you're like, "Oh hell yes!" Uh, and, uh, Somebody's remember, making a run. Uh, yeah, it was late 2000s. Like Twitter would light up. They'd be like, "We got a police chase." Yeah, it's like everyone's you know work has now stopped. Everybody, everyone in. is watching this chase. Um, there was one that I saw on on YouTube recently. It was in, in LA for three hours. This guy was on a chase. He went through like five cars, five different cars. Kept jacking them? Yeah. He, he, he was trying to steal a guy's, while running from police, he fled the vehicle, tried to steal a guy's truck in his front driveway. The guy sees from the house, fights the guy. The guy runs through the guy's house, 
hops the fence. Oh yeah, I saw this out the like, backyard. This guy was something else. Yeah, like, no, it's, it's like, like a video game. Shit. It's like GTA. <laughs> yeah, it was like a video game for but sure. The, the moral to every one of these stories is the cops got the bad guy. And yeah. maybe maybe they didn't want to encourage people to run away from them, but every single show ended. It showed with a the bad cops, end. The cops taking them down. It was a bad end. It turns out you've got more stuff with like drones and stuff than they had back then with just helicopters. Right. Yeah. I mean, anyway, I think the deer is that a good use of a deer? Fertilizer? Yeah. Uh, I mean. I feel like you could just go to Home Depot and yeah. get better. I mean, <laughs> you, <try> the, <laughs> you can probably for cheaper. Yeah. You don't need to haul. How much does a damn deer weigh, you'd say? Well, it depends on the size. I mean, if it's a big buck, it could be a, it could be a heavy animal. Yeah, I mean, you just roll up to Home Depot, pop your trunk, let them throw a few bags in. I mean, just the deal. work to, like, field dress that, that deer alone, I mean, it's not worth it. Get you know, some, I could have just walked back and just throw it on top of the roses. You know, I don't, works. I don't think so. <laughs> I mean, this guy, he's going he's gonna to drive home with a stolen bus. His wife's like, what the fuck's going on? Then he pops a deer out the back and emergency exit. Starts dragging into the backyard. She's like, "What the fuck is happening?" This guy, this guy left for work at a BMW. <laughs> <laughs> he comes home making it a stolen bus with a dead deer. Like, what's the plan with the misses? <laughs> well, that, I mean, <laughs> what's the plan? And just also think logically. I mean, how deep are you going to put this deer underneath your flower beds? I mean, you're going to have foxes. You're going to have raccoons out there. A real to- animal haven. <sighs> you're going to have to take down more than just that deer. Yeah, it's just a magnet of activity. <laughs> That's why he was naked. I don't know. Anyway, we got another one. Uh, a moose breaks into a hospital. This is according to the Associated Press, so you know it's good. Uh, a young moose trudging through the snow looking for a meal spotted green plants in the lobby of a medical building in Providence, Alaska Health Park and decided to drop in for a dose of greenery. Uh, the ingenious or lucky moose triggered the sensors on the automatic doors to the building that houses the hospital's cancer center and medical offices, Randy Hughes said, the hospital hospital's director of security. We received a call from one of our tenants advising us that a moose had just walked into the building. Uh, this is like an Alaska yeah. problem. No, like I guarantee is... they have like a part of the book for the security folks. Yeah. Like, oh, we got a moose alert. It, it's not just an Alaska problem. This is a youth problem. So <laughs> Hank, this is a problem for Hank. Okay, we've talked about Hank the bear who's in charge of the entire animal kingdom. He's yeah. behind the scenes. But what a lot of these younger animals are doing, just like a lot of younger people, they break into places so they can get a good TikTok video. And so the TikTok (laughs) moose moose wants to be seen by his peers on the Chinese spy app eating plants in the middle of a hospital. Well, well, and, and, and to that point, Ashbrook, here from the article as well, the quote is, but it seemed like it was a magnet for people to come and see it. It's not every day you get a moose walking into a building, so everybody was excited to take pictures and stuff like that. Amazing. This is a narcissistic moose, for sure. TikTok moose. Can you imagine, like, your grandma's in there, you know, getting uh, her cancer treatments, and you're, like, posting a selfie with a moose? No, I I mean, that would be stirring. I don't know how you exactly changed. But but listen, it goes on. The moose was too preoccupied with eating off his plants to notice that that the stir he was causing. Security officers formed a semicircle to corral the moose and shoo it out the door. Okay, that is brave as hell. They shoot it. That is that that is something. They else. shooed it. They didn't shoot yeah. it. Yeah. I mean, and, and that's the thing is like moose are 
fucking enormous. They're Massive. Huge. huge. Yeah, I want to know what sort of clearance they have on this medical facility, because I don't know how That's you... That's what I was thinking. Like, he walks in the front door, like the antlers on the... Like, right. To his shoulders, probably like eight feet. These things are enormous. He's got to duck his big horns underneath the... Yeah. Right? <laughs> I mean, the rack has got to get underneath there somehow. It's right. probably not easy. It's got to like eight foot. Yeah. P- potentially. Right. Well, so it turns out it's been a problem before. No. Wow. Yeah. They've had bears try to get into the same emergency room. <laughs> there you go. This it is, wraps this it is up it. with a bow. Yeah, yeah, it's been the same the same outfit. So let me propose an alternate theory here. It could be that it's a TikTok moose. It could also be one of Hank's guys trying to finish a job on somebody. Oh, oh, interesting. Coming so into somebody, the So somebody's in the hospital well, bed. Well, we've read a lot about the moose attacks lately, uh-huh. right? Maybe they ding somebody up. Somebody's got a broken leg. They're upstairs. And, they're and, like, and to me, that's the wild thing about these attacks is like, you'd think that like a moose would put its like head down and charge you with the horns or, you know, with the antlers. They do jump kicks. It's the wildest they thing. They do jump they kicks. They jump and kick people in the head. Well, yeah. Hold on. But then it walks into a room and just chews an IV line. I <laughs> think that's potentially it was probably rummaging through the drugs I think we just yeah. kind of glossed over the fact from the article that it says this wasn't the first time a moose went inside like at what point do you get rid of the plants <laughs> like I would think that'd be a one and done scenario oh a moose comes in we're gonna get rid of the plants or maybe a plant that's not like attractive to him well how often do moose have to come into your medical facility before you get rid of the the plants yeah it, it is Alaska there are plants outside I right. love that. hey what do you got here what is that? <laughs> what kind of plants are these? I mean, it is true that they, they, they have they have attracted it at some level. Anyway, that's the moose story. Um, this is a serious one. Yeah. Um, so a lot of us have been talking about what's behind the Bud Light Dylan Mulvaney thing, mm-hmm. and trying to extrapolate out a larger issue that we're dealing with corporate America. Because obviously, from a marketing standpoint, it makes absolutely zero sense for a company like Bud Light to have somebody like Dylan Mulvaney as their spokesperson, right? Although apparently their director of marketing disagrees with this. So I I don't know if we wanna play that audio first. Let's do it. I'm a businesswoman. I had a really clear job to do when I took over Bud Light. And it was, this brand is in decline. It's been in decline for a really long time. And if we do not attract young drinkers to come and drink this brand, there will be no future for Bud Light. So I had this super clear mandate. It's like, we Mm -hmm. need to evolve and elevate this incredibly iconic brand. And my, what I brought to that was a belief in, okay, what is, what what does evolve and elevate mean? It means inclusivity. It means shifting the tone. It means having a campaign that's truly inclusive and feels lighter and brighter and different and appeals to women and to men Mm -hmm. and representation is at sort of the heart of evolution you've got to see people who reflect you in the work and we had this hangover i mean bud light had been kind of a brand of fratty kind of out of touch humor and it was really important (laughs) that we had another approach let's deal with this in order I mean, first of all, I, I come on. It's amazing that this is the person responsible for trying to sell beer. I am not surprised that we got the the partnership with Dylan Mulvaney, if that's the person running the They're show. Like, so I'm the head of marketing for a beer company. Here's the thing. I hate our customers. Yeah, so every, what we've been doing is fratty and out of touch. Yeah. What we need to have is is transsexuals on the can. These, then, these then guys who buy our beer, they like making jokes and having a good time. I hate these people. 
So I took it as a very personal mission. But also just by the percentages, right? You have to look, if you are if you are running Bud Light and you look at your customer base and whether it's growing or shrinking, I don't know the answer to that. She, she said it's shrinking, which I think is a hell of a position for a marketing expert to say, right? I mean, the, the company that I'm working for is a shrinking marketplace. Okay, all right, well, <laughs> good luck explaining that to the C-suite. But anyway, if that is the position, then they're talking about the way to elevate and evolve is inclusivity. And their view of inclusivity and representation, as they call it, is basically having a man who dresses up as a cartoon kids character woman as a representative of their company. Right. And somehow that is the bright and light touch that she's talking about elevating and evolving towards. What? Like, what the? what is that? No, literally, what is it? Can somebody please explain that to me? Like, how is it that there are people left in this world who look at the country of the United States which is roughly on a 50-50 partisan breakdown? They can overlap a company like Bud Light on that and then say, well, everybody who drinks Bud Light's fratty and out of touch from a humor perspective. Right. So I got to put a transac- transsexual on the can and therefore then we'll be uh, all full of candles and light. Right. Yeah, we're going to lose all of our existing customers, but then we're going to we're going to get a bunch of new ones, <laughs> I promise. With no change in the product whatsoever, right, 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 I might add. There's, right. a, there's a huge difference between what she said, which was slam dunking on every person who ever bought their beer, and saying like, well, trans people drink beer too, so we're just going to have a trans person, and we're going to have a bunch of horses, and we're going to have a bunch of dudes in cowboy hats too. So, like, you know what I mean? Like, it's not like it's not like she said, well, this is just one more market we're trying to reach. She said, the market that we have been reaching is not a market we want to sell to anymore. That, that's what she said. That's exactly explicitly, what she said. It wasn't even inferred. It was right. explicitly by saying fratty and out of touch right. from a humor right. standpoint. I mean, I, I can only imagine that she's referring to the ads that were awesome for like 25 years. Yeah. Right? Sold a lot of beer. Sold a lot of beer. But now she's talking about... You notice they haven't really posted much on social media since this new thing. Yeah, it kind of went dark. And so, so what was really interesting is because you're seeing this across the board at corporations. You're, you know, whether it's products, whether it's the content, like Disney right now is, you know, facing hell from from shareholders because their movies are bombing. They're mm-hmm. not like films that they're spending hundreds of millions of dollars on are not making their money back. Uh, their streaming service has been losing viewers uh i think they're down like 30 percent in viewership and what they've done is they've brought in the same kind of activists who are like oh well here's the thing you know we essentially hate our existing customers and we're going to use a process of you know inclusivity and 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 the what i thought was really great is so the new york post had an article tying all this totally Mm -hmm. It, it it goes it goes so this is the title of it is what's really behind Dylan's brand takeover Mm -hmm. inside the CEI system pushing brands to endorse celebs like Dylan Mulvaney 
So this is the crux of this story. Executives at companies like Nike, Anheuser-Busch, and Kate Spade, whose brand endorsements have turned controversial trans influencer Dylan Mulvaney into today's it girl, quote-unquote, aren't just virtue signaling. They're handing out lucrative deals to what were once considered fringe celebrities because they have to, Mm -hmm. or risk failing an all-important social credit score that could make or break their businesses. At stake is the Corporate Equality Index, or CEI, score, which is overseen by the Human Rights Campaign, (sighs) the largest LGBTQ+. I feel like they missed at least three letters in that. Yeah, there's I's and A's and other things. There's all kinds of other things. They completely left up to spirit. Yeah. yeah. (laughs) (laughs) Political lobbying. It's outrageous. (laughs) So HRC, which has received millions from guess who? Yep, yep. George Soros's Open Society Foundation, amongst others, issues report cards for America's biggest corporations via CEI, mm-hmm. awarding or subtracting points on how well companies adhere to what HRC calls its rating criteria. Businesses that attain a maximum 100 total points earn a coveted title of, quote, best place to work for LGBTQ equality, unquote. And again, I feel like they're going to need to update that this year. Uh, 15 of the top 20 fortune-ranked companies received 100% ratings last year, according to HRC data. So, okay. First of all, this is so fascinating from a, like a lift the hood on the corporate culture is one that they're like super concerned about what the human rights campaign rates their company. Mm -hmm. But two... That they get points for things like having Dylan Mulvaney as a spokesperson, as opposed to actually doing anything in this area. And that's the thing. That, I mean, this article does a good job pointing out that, you know, after the whole marriage equality, gay rights issue was relatively settled by the Supreme Court, these folks had to shift to find a new source of income. So this is essentially just their little, you know, activist money machine. Of right. What they're doing is they're like, oh, shit, well, you know— th- it's hard to argue that the workplace doesn't have LGBT equality when the Supreme Court's already decided it, but we got to keep the hustle going. Right. I mean, it's ju- it's just like where they have the trans uh, day of vengeance because they yeah. said that there was, quote unquote, a genocide against trans people happening. There always has to be a constant fear that there's some, you know, nameless thing that is going to be threatening people who are LGBT or whatever. And so. It's a very convenient protection racket for the human rights campaign to run in which they get to tell corporations what to do. So listen, and, 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 the, and the real fear is not that necessarily you get a, a bad ding on a report card, but that some, you know, Internet mob will come for your company. They come calling. Right. Yeah. So this is how they grade this thing. HRC lists five major rating criteria. Each of has its own lengthy subset for companies to gain or lose. Uh, CEI points. The main categories are workforce protections, inclusive benefits, supporting an inclusive culture, corporate response, social responsibility, and responsible citizenship. A company can lose CEI points if it doesn't fulfill HRC's demand for, quote, integration of intersectionality in professional development, skills-based, or other training. What does that even mean? It's all subjective. It's blackmail is what it means. <laughs> it means they got to hire activists. 
<laughs> that, to explain you, it. You got to hire. That's smug. Yeah, yeah. That is that's the it. nail on the head right there. Human rights campaign administers CEI rankings uh, like an extortion racket. There we like go. The ma- mafia. It doesn't just sit back passively easier. It, HRC sends representatives to corporations every year telling them what kind of stuff they have to uh, make uh, visible at the company. They give them a list of demands, and if they don't follow through, there's a threat that you won't keep your CEI score. Ugh. That's the, and, and it ties it all together. It's right here. It says, The CEI is a lesser-known part of the burgeoning ESG, that's Environmental, Social, and Corporate Governance, Ethical Investing Movement. We've talked about that a number of times, of this ESG. It's essentially just you know a left-wing uh, uh, racket for them to just hire more of their activists uh, and and basically get a stranglehold on industries like you know domestic energy production where they give lower ESG scores to domestic energy producers uh, to you know essentially just help the Chinese well, sell more solar panels. Here's one thing I don't understand: it just knowing your typical Bud Light drinker, if you told them that Bud Light has just earned the lowest CEI <laughs> score possible, they would be like, "Hell yeah, let's buy another." 24. Well, I think the problem is is that the, the you're right, it, but profits are not an issue at issue here. Like what's at issue is activist investors and the corporate system, the corporate board and how you're unable to basically run a company because of the way that the structure is, right? I mean, if you are under attack by the activist left in a corporate setting, you're going to get overrun in your company. The All-Star Game is a prime example of how they pulled it, and like all the local businesses, companies, all of them just got screwed. Totally. Yeah, but nobody cared about those that cared about the activists, right? Yeah. I mean, it's also like, you know, you talked about this mug six months ago, you know, with uh, the streaming services cutting back on shows that, you know, these like woke shows that weren't making any money because when times get tough mm-hmm. and you got to pinch a penny, like suddenly all this, this shit goes by the wayside. Yeah. And I have to think if the economy does continue its downturn, some I would hope some of these people in corporate America wake up and be like, hmm, maybe we shouldn't be held hostage by 10 people with Twitter accounts. Because, like, we have a fiduciary responsibility to shareholders. But you know what's so <laughs> Totally. But you know what's so funny? I mean, you talk to your average C-suite person, and most of them understand all of this, and they understand. I mean, they won't tell you it. But there, I'm sure there's an awful lot of them out there who understand what they're doing. They're basically paying, it's like a mafia shakedown, yeah. right? Right. They're paying prote- protection money. And yet, you get people like that woman at the top who's rationalized it from a corporate marketing standpoint. Right. Right? Right. So, like, that's just a different level altogether. Mm-hmm. The idea that the person who's responsible for marketing Bud Light thinks it's super smart to go out and put Dil- Dylan Mulvaney on a can still thinks it's super smart and not because of the reasons that we just went through not because of cei from a brand and marketing standpoint which is like dude what what's going on what is going on what do we have to do as a culture to just say enough enough like you can't you can't drink a beer without getting somebody's social agenda i mean that's the thing is uh, to me it strikes me as like this patronage model where like this, you know, head of marketing clearly has no idea how to sell beer. Zero idea. But now she's going to be seen by the left as like, oh, a champion of the shit that we're pushing or our agenda, right? And so even if she fails there at Bud Light, they'll be like, okay, well, 
seeing as you brought in a bunch of activists, you know, kept the, that, the money flowing to our folks, we'll take care of you. We'll find a place for you somewhere. There's going to be a company that needs another idiot to push this woke garbage. We'll get you right there. She, I guarantee you go through her donation records. She's given to all the Dems, you know, in the game. I guarantee it. Because this is what's become of, of, of the left is they're a corporate party. But right? it, they're not like the grassroots. They're, they're not a bunch of grassroots they are. that are fighting the system. They're all corporatists. It's 100% right. And if you needed to just think about that at all, consider the fact, would Bud Light basically be like abortion? It's terrible. And throw like Clarence Thomas on a can? No. No. The, the, like, no. But it's the, it, it is basically the yin and yang, right? Right. I mean, is something as culturally div- divisive at this point as a man declaring himself a woman and dressing up in in toddler clothes and 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 acting what's the name of the the children's uh Eloise Eloise yeah a children's book character like that is culturally as divisive as a thing i can think of other than like you know i mean like abortion right is a is a 50-50 split in this country maybe a little more maybe a little less but but like you would never see a company weigh in heavy pro life. Right. You would never see that. Right. Because and what they would tell you if you said why don't you do that is like what do you want us to limit our our market share to fifty yeah, they'd percent? Say, they'd say pro choicers buy beer too. They would. Is it, is do we not have any movement? Are we this bad at what we do? I mean that was one of the smartest things. Is like I remember when Michael Jordan had that famous quote mm-hmm. years and years ago. When uh, you know there were a lot of Democrats who were pushing for him to do endorsements in, in elections and to endorse the Democrat and come out and campaign for Democrats, and he was like, "Republicans buy, you know, they buy sneakers too. too." Yeah, yeah. No, I mean that was that was that was the quote, and that was the mindset of politics twenty years ago. Now it's like entirely the opposite. If you can't force them to appreciate yeah. us then we'll burn down the house. And that's it. Well, I just think it's very rare that, you know, the, the after any of these things happen, there's always, you know, 24 or 48 hours of interest in boycotting or, you know, getting a different beer or, or whatever. But on the right, we've never actually sustained anything like that. No. Now, I mean, I think people are being more discerning now than they were, say, a decade ago on this stuff, particularly as, like, the culture war has become more pronounced in society. But I don't know that, you know, necessarily we're doing a good job on the right of being as discerning as we should be. Make them dig out. Yeah. Make them dig out. Right. If they want to sell beer to you, make them dig out. Make them show you who it is that they're that they're think or trust are their customers. Anyway, it's a it's an important point we're going to keep coming back to. Fellas, I, f- I feel like we did a nice Monday today. It's a great Monday. Absolutely. It's good to have Ashbrook back. Oh, it's good to be back, fellas. Well, Absolute banger of an episode, if I may say so myself, gentlemen. Uh, thank you so much, Americans for Public Trust, for helping inform our listeners. And thank you so much to the Minions for listening. So until next time, Minions, keep the faith, hold the line, and own the libs. We'll see you on Thursday. Stay ruthless. Stay ruthless.